So this morning we're back in our helicopter uh, with Brother Warren Wearsby as our co-pilot as we continue flying over the New Testament letters and getting that sort of perspective, looking down, trying to take in all the, survey all the contents. So what we've done so far, if you're following this series, remember the thing that I'm suggesting each time I'm I'm stealing Brother Wearsby's uh, one-word title, or two words, it's be something each time. Um, And I'm also giving you a key verse. Sometimes my key verse is the same as Warren Wearsby's, sometimes we differ. But so far what we've done is we've looked at Romans, which is be right, how to be right before a holy God. And the key verse was Romans 1.17. I'm not going to read the verses. I'm just mentioning them again. 1 Corinthians then, be wise. Key verse, chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians, be encouraged. Chapter 3, verse 16. And then last time, Galatians, be free. Galatians 5 verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ made us free, so do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So that's what we've got so far, but this morning we're coming to actually the first Warren Wearsby little commentary that I ever read, and it's called Be Rich, and it's on Ephesians. And uh, Just a a little bit of personal testimony, because that's been a sort of theme this weekend. It's very poignant for me, actually, because uh, this here is the Bible, a big thumping great Rari study Bible that Michelle gave to me on the occasion of my 18th birthday. And it just so happens that this Saturday coming, it will be 40 years exactly. So 40 years I uh, have been studying the Word of God now, which I think is uh, just something to be so thankful for. But, and just if any of you are taking notes this morning, you know why sometimes speakers say, look, if there's only one thing you take away with you, would you take away with the fact that it's my birthday on Saturday? But um, <laughs> the, the, uh, in Ephesians, what I have done, and I'm just going to turn it up here. I remember typing out, Wearsby's outline of the letter. And there it is, stuck into my study Bible. And isn't that amazing? But 40 years later, I'd still recommend you read that. It's just, it's just wonderful. So look, that's what we're going to be. We're going to be thinking about Ephesians and about being rich. And it's mapping out of our spiritual riches in Christ. So what's the key verse? Well, I have just been unable to decide. There's two contenders, so I'll uh, I'll let you decide for yourself which one you're going to choose. It's either chapter 1, verse 3. You remember, you're looking for a verse that captures the essence of the letter. So it's either this, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's either that one or it's chapter 3, verse 
8, where Paul says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Or maybe that's the 2011 NIV. If you're using the 1984 NIV, it had the unsearchable riches of Christ. In the original word, it's the idea of you you not being able to get to the end of the thing. You won't be able to map it out. No matter how far you go, there's still more there in front of you. These spiritual blessings, these spiritual riches that are ours in Christ. So let me say one or two things about, about these riches. Did you know that the letter of Ephesians contains the best sentence in the Bible. I'm going to read you it in a minute, but it's actually the longest sentence in the Bible by far because that verse that I read in chapter 1, verse 3, it's the start of a sentence that goes all the way to the end of verse 14 in the original. And it is one long and complex and glorious sentence. Because what it does is it maps out the blessedness that is ours through being in Christ. And, you know, this is where Wearsby sort of comes into his own in that he's so accessible in flagging up things to look out for. He can oversimplify things a bit at times, perhaps. But I'm going to read you this long sentence now. And what Wearsby says is, look out for this. See how these spiritual blessings, these spiritual riches, they've been planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, and presented by the Spirit. This is an incredibly Trinitarian text that I'm about to read to you. So I'm going to read it quite quickly. And look out for the movement from the Father to the Son, to the Spirit. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Try writing a sentence like that in your GCSE English. It's amazing, isn't it? So, what was Paul's point in writing Ephesians? Something you'll notice about it is, you know, it's almost certainly a circular letter. That is a letter that was planned to be, you know, passed around different churches. It doesn't have the usual, you know, greetings and names and, and, and at the end of the letter as well. It's, it's sort of more general in just saying what Paul has to say. He wants the believers who read it to appreciate the riches of belonging to Christ. And in the letter, you get three really famous images of what it is to be the people of God, to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And again, Brother Wearsby loves it. He's got three Bs. There's the image of, of the building. You get this in chapter two very strongly. Believers are God's temple, God's dwelling place, his home, his house, if you like. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. We're all now one people. We form the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And then in chapter four and in chapter five, you get the image of being Christ's body. We are the members of his body. He is the head, and we are growing up into him, into fullness and into maturity. And then in chapter five, we have one of the most famous images that the church is Christ's bride. We're on the inside of this love relationship where God has pledged himself to us to be faithful to us in Jesus Christ. We are his bride. Beautiful pictures. We're told in the letter to the Ephesians that we are stamped as God's own property, his possession. We are sealed and marked by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Eternal security just rises out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Every believer is marked with God's mark of ownership. We actually are his inheritance. That's the point of that. We are his inheritance. Yes, he is our inheritance, but we are his inheritance. For anyone who doubts their salvation, Go to Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul tells us that as believers in Christ, we are already seated in the heavenlies in Christ. In that positional sense, but very real sense, we are already united with Christ in glory. Why would we fear for our eternal blessedness if we're already seated in Christ, in the heavenly, seated with Christ. One of the things Paul loves to do in Ephesians is to explain how believers who have been saved through Jesus Christ, how we showcase the glory of God. 
He tells us in chapter 1, verse 6, in the verse that we read three times, he tells us actually in that, that we demonstrate, we broadcast the glory of God's surpassing grace. That's what we've been thinking about all morning. He tells us towards the end of chapter 1 that actually God's power is displayed in the lives of believers. The power that raised Christ from the dead is now active in the people of God. It has raised them as well. Raised them to a position of being seated with Christ. He tells us in chapter 3 verse 10 that believers, the church, broadcasts the wisdom of God so that the principalities and powers, when they look down at a gathering like this this morning of sinners who are leaning into the grace of God and Jesus Christ, the principalities and powers go, oh, the wisdom of God. This is what he did. This is what he did in his plan of salvation. You have an eternal significance, brothers and sisters, because you say something about God. Ephesians is bursting with blessings. But what I've pointed out in previous letters is you you get this organic link between Paul setting out all the blessings, all the truths that apply to us now that we are in Christ. And then he turns in the latter chapters of his letters usually and he says, now, Here's the impact of this. Here's here's how we're to live in light of this. He sort of moves from doctrine to duty. And one thing to look out for when you're reading a letter is look out for those wonderfully helpful hinge verses. I love a good hinge verse because it really brings you into the thought flow of the writer. And you get it in chapter 4, verse 1. He's just been telling us all these blessings that I've just touched on there. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, I urge you, you know, in light of everything I've just told you about your riches in Christ, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is all true of you, glorious true of you. Now, here. This is how you're to respond. And what he does in the rest of the letter then is he shows us how we're to walk, literally walk worthily of our high and holy calling in Christ. Where does he start? He says, well, this is going to be worked out in how we relate to one another within the body of Christ. It's going to determine how we relate how we give ourselves to seeing each other being built up, how we talk about each other, how we forgive each other, put up with each other, how we encourage and inspire to praise and worship and service. That's, how, that's where it's going to work out, folks. If all these blessings are true for you and true for all your brothers and sisters, well, it's going to shape how you live together. And then he goes in in chapter 4, he says, you know, and it's also going to determine how you relate to your old life. Because you're going to consciously put off your old self and your old way of life with all its habits. 
You're going to put it off consciously each day, and you're going to put on your new life, your new identity in Christ. It's yours, it's secure, but you have got the daily task of clothing yourself with it. So you're going to live in a way now, and you're going to develop habits now that are consistent with your new self in Christ. And then he gets really, really gritty, and he says, you know, it's going to affect how you behave in your marriage, husbands and wives, how you relate to each Your salvation is going to shape that. It's going to shape how you live in your family situation, how you relate to your children, and for believing children, how they relate to their parents. He says it's going to shape how we discharge our employment, how we relate to those who are in authority over us, and how we, if we're in a position of authority, relate to those who are in that position under us. It's going to, it's going to work out in the realities of life. Your identity in Christ, the riches that you have, are just going to pour into how you live. And then he finishes the letter with that famous passage and says, it's going to inform how you stand for God in a world that is under the control of dark forces. Because all that, those riches and that, and that provision that's there in Christ, it's going to help you to stand and to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what comes at you. So brothers and sisters... Know your way round the book of Ephesians. Get yourself a copy of Be Rich and use it to just discover what's yours in Christ. You will be wealthier for it. So there we are. This is the nearest I've ever got to the prosperity gospel. You will be wealthier when you discover every spiritual blessing that is yours in Christ. So that's Ephesians. Philippians comes next. Here it is. I would say if I took, a, a, I said, a, for those of you who know your Bible, you know, what, what would Philippians be? Well, this is it. Be joyful. Be joyful. Here's the key verse. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And everyone loves Philippians. Everyone loves Philippians. It would be impossible to miss the number of references in this short letter to joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving. I counted 16. That's not bad for a short letter. Four chapters, 16 references. But what makes it all the more remarkable is when you factor in Paul's situation and circumstances at the time of writing. He makes it clear in the letter that he's writing to the Philippians from prison. Almost certainly in Rome. And not only is he in prison, but he makes it very clear his life is on the line. Literally. So the joy that he experiences and encourages others to share in with him is clearly not one that arises out of pleasant circumstances. It's present in very adverse circumstances. 
Now, I would say to you that probably the best way of understanding the letter is not to see joy and rejoicing as the theme of the letter, but more so as the mood that permeates it. That's just what's in the air as you read this letter. But the theme is actually stated in the opening verses. There's a logic to that. When you're writing to someone, you usually flag up at the start why you're writing to them. And these are the the greeting cards verses that we nab. Chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Now listen, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The theme is partnership in the gospel. Go to the end of the letter for a moment. Chapter 4. See how he brings it all together after we go through the body of the letter. See how he comes back to this theme. I'm going to read you the verses from chapter 4, verse 10 to 20. I greatly rejoiced in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and of more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the theme of the letter, guys. Partnership in the gospel. In one sense, Philippians is a thank you letter. Okay? Paul is responding to the fact that the Philippians have been supportive. But I always nuance this. And it's a very important nuance. Paul never, if it's a thank you letter, Paul never thanks other believers directly. There's a challenge. Read everything Paul ever wrote. He never thanks believers directly. He always thanks God for what the believers have done that is praiseworthy. He elevates what we do in the name of Christ to that level. The Philippian church 
held a unique place in Paul's ministry up to the time of writing. We read that explicitly in chapter 4, verse 15. No other church did what you guys have done, is what he says. Not only had they sent material aid to him on several occasions, but this latest time, they'd actually sent it to him via one of their leaders, a guy named Epaphroditus. And he almost died in Paul's presence, having come on this errand to provide support. So Paul uses the opportunity of writing to the Philippians and updating them on his circumstances and indeed on Epaphroditus' circumstances to spell out what it looks like to be a true partner in the gospel. And in the body of the letter, starting 127 there, the first thing he says is, it will require, if you're going to be a true partner in the gospel, the work of the gospel, it will require a united and courageous stand in the face of real opposition. For the Philippians, Paul tells them, they're now on the inside of the very same struggles that they observed that Paul had when he came to Philippi. Recorded in Acts chapter 16, where did he end up? In prison. Remember the Philippian jailer? What must I do to be saved? That, Paul says, well, it's now your time to be on the inside of the struggles that you saw I had. Things were getting tough for the Philippians. And absolutely key to them fulfilling their responsibilities to shine as lights in a dark world, as he says, the key thing will be this, the practice of humility among them. And you know where I'm going to go with that. Arguably the most famous passage in the New Testament. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. You know, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't think it equality with God something to be grasped, but, but poured himself out and took the role of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God is highly exalted him. Jesus Christ, Paul is saying to the Philippians, he's not just our savior. He is our example. He is our pattern. And it is binding upon every single one of us who take his name. And especially on those who want to take his work forward in the world. Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And he gets, you know, really down and gritty with it again. He says, you know, there's no place. There's just no place among gospel partners for estrangement. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he mentions two sisters, two faithful gospel-working sisters 
Judea and Syntyche. And he says, sort it out. He says to them, accept mediation. Don't let this rumble on. They've got some disagreement has, has set in in the work of the gospel. Not arguing over Coronation Street. In the work of the gospel. And it's interesting what Paul says. He says, he, he says look, I ask you, my true companion, we don't know who that is, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So don't write them off as spiritual pygmies, as worldly believers. They contended at Paul's side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. What Paul is doing is, he's telling the, the, the gospel partners, Remember, even if you have disagreements and misunderstandings in taking forward the work of the gospel, remember that your names are written in the book of life. Does that remind you of anything? Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 72, and they came back and they went, this is unreal. Even the demons submit to us in your name. The work was just going so crackingly well. And Jesus says, I observe Satan fall out of Satan. Don't rejoice in the fact that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice in this. Your names are written in the book of life. It's very hard to maintain a grievance to another gospel partner. When you keep landing on the truth, we're all written together in the book of life. We can have disagreements in the work. We'll see things differently. But behave Christianly. And remember, beneath all our differing perspectives, there's a common unity. We're in the book of life together. Time's gone. I'm not going, to, not going to develop anything more. I'm just going to say, Philippians also is a must-read. There's no book in the Bible, isn't it? A must-read. But Philippians is an absolute must-read for any Christian and for any church that takes seriously their responsibility to play their part in what Paul calls in this letter the advance of the gospel in our world. We read Philippians 4.19, and if you watch the little, what did we call it, uh, Explore Europe video that we put up last week, I pointed out that glorious promise, expression of confidence, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We all love that, don't we? Who was it said to in what context was it written? To a local church who had given themselves to partnership in the gospel. That's who can look with confidence that all their needs will be met according to the riches of Jesus Christ. There's a tremendous sense in which that is the experience of people who give themselves away to the gospel.
May that be my experience, your experience, our experience. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.